we're going to look at Esther and her fa uh, Mordecai's famous saying to her, uh, for such a time as this. So what I want to do is I actually want to go through the whole book, but since we don't have time for me to read the, all the scriptures through the whole book, I'm going to do some outlines and throw some scriptures in. So I want you to see the whole story of Esther because she's just an amazing lady. So with that, would you join me? We'll, we'll pray for our study tonight. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you do for us. Lord, we're, we're so grateful and so thankful to be called by your name, Lord, and I just pray for each woman here tonight and for those that are online that have, are watching us, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just fill our hearts with that joy and that peace, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts tonight and we would learn so much from Esther, this beautiful woman with, with this beauty that comes from the inside, Lord, as well. So, Father, bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to give you a little background because I think it's important when we study the Word of God that you see a picture of where we are and what the culture is because that helps. Culture was so different back here. Um, Esther's real name is Hadassah. That's her Jewish name. Her Persian name is Esther, and that means star. Um, Hadassah means myrtle, like a myrtle tree. So this, this beautiful lady, Esther, as we will call her, her Persian name, is so beautiful to look at, but it's what's inside that's so beautiful. That's what we want to look at. It, this book was written around 485, 486 BC, and this was following right after that 70-year um, period when the Jews, remember they were captured and they were taken to Babylon, now they've all been released and they're just spread out all over. So it so happens that our story takes place in a, in a town called uh, Shushan or Susa, it may be, be referred to. And it's interesting about this book that there is no mention of God. It's the only book in the Bible that does not mention the name of God. There's no mention of heaven. There's no mention of hell. There's no mention of prayer. And there's no mention of faith. But I got to tell you, when you read this whole book, and I would challenge you to do that. I mean, it's only 10 chapters, and chapter 10 is real little, just a few paragraphs. You can read it in, you know, five or 10 minutes. It is a beautiful, beautiful book, and you will see as we go through, the hand of God is in this book, even though his name isn't mentioned. We know for sure he's there. Okay, so our, like I said, our story begins in the city of Shushan. It's also called Susa. It's located in Persia, which today is Iran. So this is where this is happening. And there's a, a king there ruling over the kingdom. It was the time of the kings. His name was King Ahasuerus. And some believe that he, that he might be King Xerxes. So if you see that name, Xerxes, it's the same, same person or the same king. Now, he had this beautiful, beautiful queen, and her name was Vasti. And she was gorgeous. So what happens is King Ahasuerus he throws this big, huge party, all his buddies and drinking and having fun. And he wanted, you know, it had a few too many, you know, and he decided he wanted his beautiful queen to come and show her, his buddies how beautiful she is. Now, it doesn't say it in the scripture, but it's a possibility that um, he wanted her to come without her veil. And that was actually against the custom 
uh, of those days, the women did not go out in public without their veil. So it's kind of like he wanted her to expose herself to, her, to his friends so he, they could see how beautiful she was. Well, she refused. And that really made him mad. And all his friends are going, King, you cannot let her get away with this because you let her get away with this. And, you know, all the women, all the women are, are going to be like that. And they're, going, they're not going to help us and they're going to refuse to do things for us. I think they were thinking about their own wives. But anyway, they said, look, I think you need to dethrone uh, Vasti. And what we'll do is we'll go all around the kingdom and we'll get all the beautiful young virgins and we'll bring them here. And then you can find a new queen. So they didn't like that. Well, the king decided to do that. He dethroned her. And um, so our story begins here in chapter 2, verse 7. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for, he had ne for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So Mordecai is in Persia, and, and somehow we don't know how, but Esther's mother and father died, so he brought her to live with him, and, and he loved her so much, he just raised her as his own daughter. So she, Mordecai is actually her cousin. So the scripture says she was lovely and beautiful, and when it uses those two words, not only was she had this natural beauty, that just, you know, everyone just loved her when they looked at her, but it says she was lovely. So that means that it, her features, everything, maybe her eyes, and she probably had this beautiful, shining, dark hair. Everything about her was beautiful and lovely. And it's very possible that she could have been a teenager. Nobody's quite sure how old she was, but it's, it's a possibility. And in those days, you know, that culture, they married uh, young women, you know, as young as 15. So um, it's very possible she could have been just, just a young person. So now she actually gets chosen to enter into the, I call it a beauty contest, the beauty contest for the queen of Persia. And Mordecai said to her, do not tell them you're Jewish. Because remember, they didn't really care about the Jews then because this, they were in Persia. So he told her, don't, don't tell them that you're Jewish. So what they did then, and I love this, they all the virgins that they got, they gave them 12 months of beauty preparation. Can you imagine? I mean, she was beautiful already, and another 12 months of preparation? I don't know, I think you and me, if we did that, we'd be beautiful too, you know? Because they used all natural products, right? In those days, they didn't have anything in a bottle. Everything was natural. So you can imagine what she must have looked like when she came out of that 12-month period. Okay, so now the 12 months have passed, and the virgins are ready to come before the king. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. How amazing is that? So there was something about Esther that when people saw her, she found favor with them, even with the women. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? Even with the women, she found favor. And she was very wise for being such a young woman. She, she says to Haggai, she said, you know, well, what do you think I should wear? And, and maybe what do you think I should say? So she took his advice. And it's interesting, um, in the uh, chapter before this, when she came into uh, for the beauty preparations, 
It says that Haggai uh, found her the best place in the house of the women. So he took her to the best place. She just had this sweetness about her and probably an innocence, you know, and he just, he wanted to take care of her and help her. So she listens to him and does what he says. And then um, they're ready to go before the king. Chapter two, verse 17 says, the king loved Esther more than all the other women and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vasti. You see, I mean, he's got all these beautiful virgins to look at, but he picks out Esther and immediately falls in love with her. This is a love story too. You know, this, this has got a lot of twists and turns to it. So I, I hope that you will go home and read it maybe tomorrow or whatever, because it's really a great story. So what do you think it was about Esther? I mean, for Haggai to give her the special place to, to stay, for um, you know, the king immediately to look at her and, and, and choose her and actually fell in love with her. It's just amazing. She must have had this demeanor. I'm thinking of, you know, she might have been very young in that innocence that people just wanted to help her and she was, she was probably very humble. We know she was probably very kind. And with all of that mixed together with that beauty, she was, she was just a beautiful woman, like I said, on the inside as well as the outside, and that's so important for us. You know, we may not all be as beautiful as Esther, but we can be as beautiful in the inside, can't we? We can be kind, we can be gracious, we can be humble, right? We can do all those things, and we, as well, will find favor with, uh, with people. I remember uh, when my husband and I were uh, going out and making uh, sales calls, that when we were en route, I would always pray that the buyers would find favor with him and I. You know, I always prayed that, and we always, people always liked us, you know, because we were just happy campers, I guess. I don't know. They liked us. So having people find favor with you, I think, is, is an amazing thing. Okay, so moving along in our story, Mordecai, you know, once now Queen uh, Esther is Queen Esther, and she doesn't come out. She's not allowed to come out in public unless the king is with her for some reason. So, so Mordecai is at the king's gate, and she has her servant uh, go back and forth to Mordecai because he wanted to know, are you okay? Is everything okay? He wanted to make sure she was all right because, you know, he loved her. She was like a, a daughter to him, so he kept checking on her, but it was always via the servant. Well, one day when he was at the gate, he heard this plot that they were going to assassinate the king. So he calls for Esther's servants and says, you've got to have Esther go tell the king, these two guys, and he named them, these two guys are planning to assassinate the king. So she did, she told the king, and that event, he, he found the two guys, and, and off with their heads, I guess. Uh, he did something with them, they, they no longer existed. Uh, but in those days, what a big event like that would be logged in the book of Chronicles. It was called the, the Chronicles of the Kingdom. So that would be logged in there. And the reason I'm telling you that is because it's gonna be really important when we move on in the story. So remember that it was logged in there. However, even though it was logged in there, Mordecai did not get any, uh, uh, you know, any uh, recognition for, for telling the king that it just got logged in there and it kind of passed him over. 
So the next thing that happens, there's probably about a five-year period here. The next thing that happened, the king appoints a man named Haman as second in command. And homage was to be paid to, to Haman. So whenever he would walk by, you know, you had to bow down and, oh my gosh, you know, like he was royalty. And Mordecai refused to do that. He absolutely would not bow down to him. Remember, he was Jewish. And remember what the Lord said in Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. So he refused to bow down to him. He was the only one, right? Because they didn't even know that Esther was Jewish at this point. So Haman hated Mordecai. He hated Mordecai. So he wanted to plan somehow to get this guy hung. He actually built a gallow for just for Mordecai to, to hang him on there. So he went to the king and he thought, we're going to get rid of these Jews for once and for all. This Mordecai can't stand him. So he goes to the king and tells him a whole bunch of lies about the Jewish people. He says, we need to issue a decree to annihilate every Jew within the, the kingdom. And the king agrees. And when Mordecai finds out about it, he puts on sack, sackcloth and mourns because of what he's hearing. And he sent the, a copy of the decree to Esther, okay, via the servant, and he tells her, you must intercede uh, for your people by going to the king. And Esther said, but, but it's a capital offense, you know. I can't go to the king unless he calls me. And, and if he holds up the golden scepter, then I will be spared. But if he doesn't, then she will be put to death. And she said, plus, he has not called me for 30 days. So she's thinking, did I do something wrong, you know? Remember, he had a harem, okay? So he had his choice of women. So he actually had not called her to come see him in 30 days, which I thought was quite amazing since he loved her so much. He didn't call her for 30 days. So here's Mordecai's response to what Esther said in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. So you see what he's saying? Look, Esther, God placed you in this place. You won this beauty contest. You became queen. It's God that did this, basically, is what he's saying to her, that you need to intercede for your people. So God had placed her in, in this uh, position that she's in as queen for such a time as this. And have you ever had that urge uh, to do something for the Lord? And maybe it was something that was very scary, something you didn't, didn't want to do, but the Lord kept kept at you, kept urging you to do it. Well, I imagine Esther was very scared, and, and I kind of related to that in a way I, uh, when I was younger, I was working for a man who was very, very powerful, very wealthy, and, uh, you know, with wealth comes power, very controlling. And when I was working uh, for him, I became a Christian. And you know what happens when you become a Christian. It's like, oh, I want to tell everybody about Jesus, you know. I'm so happy, and everybody needs to know. So what do I do? I don't ask God anything because I didn't know I had to pray, you know, and I didn't know about God's timing. So I went into my boss's office and tried to talk to him about Jesus. He, he uh, was not happy. He's, his face turned beet red. He yelled at me, and I know the whole front office must have heard, heard him because he's very loud. 
do not ever talk to me about Jesus again and get out of my office. I went, whoa, I guess, ooh, that didn't work, you know, and that really scared me. So I, I kind of understand where Esther is coming from, but, but here's the, the interesting thing about God and his timing. This is the point of my story. Several years later, my boss got cancer, and uh, I was no longer working for him then, but I heard about it, and I cared about him. I mean, I'd started working for him when I was 17 years old, so, you know, he was like a father to me. He taught me so many things, and I really cared about him, and I was concerned. So every Sunday, I found out he was in the hospital, every Sunday after church, I would pray, Lord, just give me five minutes with him. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. I've got to try. I've got to try one more time. Is that urging? that just won't go away. I've got to tell him about Jesus. He's not going to be around much longer. Every time I would go up to the hospital room, it was filled with at least 10, 12 people. Every, every time. I, and I'm like, how can I talk to him with all these people? So it got to the point where they were going to send him home, and I knew what that meant. That meant he was going to die. And I went, Lord, it's, you know, he's coming to the end. I've got to, I've just got to tell him about Jesus. Now, mind you, I was scared. I was really scared because, you know, he yelled at me, and that really scared me. People, I'm not used to people yelling at me. And so I was frightened, but I, I asked my friend after church, I said, please pray with me. I just need, I just need a, a five minutes with him, you know, to tell him about the Lord. I have to tell him. I just have to tell him. So she prayed with me, and I went up to the hospital room, and I was clutching my Bible like you can't believe. I was, I was shaking a little bit because I was really frightened to do this, but I knew I had to do it. And I opened up the door to his room, and the only person there is his wife. And the phone rang as, as soon as I walked in. She got on the phone. She scooted away from him over into the corner. I had him all to myself, and... I talked to him about Jesus. He couldn't yell at me because he could barely talk. He just had a whisper. But I led him in the sinner's prayer, and he said it. And it was just an amazing God's God's timing is my whole point. You know, and even though you may be frightened like Esther was frightened, you're going to see she's going to go ahead and do what she knows God, God is calling her to do. And so that's just an encouragement to you girls. Don't, you know, don't just say, oh, no, because I'll tell you, if you don't do it, somebody else will. You know, and you'll go, oh, man, I wanted to do that, or I wanted to say that. I've been in a group where um, I was thinking something that, and I, I was too scared, you know, to say it in front of all these people. Then somebody else says the same thing. It's like, wait, that was my idea, you know. But that's what, we're, you know, you need to, to listen to the Lord, listen to him. So uh, I was just so happy that, and he actually, he died two weeks later, went home and died two weeks later. So that was, that was an amazing story, and I, I got a lot of courage from that story be, uh, of doing that. You know, and that's what the Lord does. You know, he'll use you, and he'll give you courage to do things like that, that that you're kind of afraid to do. And now we begin to see God's, back to Esther's story, God's plan begin to come into play now. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. It says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shusan, and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, day or, or night or day, my maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. 
So I, I love that. She's very courageous. She's afraid, but she's going to do it anyway. And even though, like, we, like I said, we don't see God's name mentioned here, you can see his hand and all that. How did she know to fast? Fast. How did she know that? Because she was raised a Jew. She knew all about the God of Israel. And it doesn't say it in the scripture, but when you fast, you pray. I mean, they just go together, hand in hand, right? So even her maids, who were not Jewish, fasted and prayed for three days, and all the Jews. So she knew and understand the value of fasting, and she was willing to give her life if necessary to save her people. That's why she is, is so famous, because she ended up saving the, the Jews, all the Jews of that generation. So I, I think that's, that's encouraging to me, because, you know, if you, if, like I said, if you move forward on what the Lord's urging you to do, you don't jump in like I did the first time and just go in and start talking about Jesus during work hours, you know, and especially to the guy that owns the place, you know. You don't do things like that just without praying or feeling the urging from the Lord, but I knew that the urging when he was in the hospital, I knew it. I knew I had to do it. So, and then I believe that Esther, she knew she had to do it. She knew she had to save her people. And so what about fasting? What does Jesus say about fasting? In Matthew 6, 16, he says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. So when you do fast, I'm going to tell you, ladies, I, don't, I know many of you probably have fasted. If you've never tried it, you know, try it for a day. Because what happens is it's, it's an amazing, it's a spiritual thing that happens. Is that it's just like your body is cleansed and the Holy Spirit begins to come and, and talk to you and minister to you, it's an amazing thing to pray and fast. So just a little encouragement there on that. If you've never done it or you're afraid of it, please don't be afraid of it because it is, it is truly a God thing. And if you ever do it once, you'll want to do it again because it's, it's just, uh, how can I say, just this peace, this, this, uh, you, you have an understanding like you never had before. It, it's just amazing. So I encourage you to try that. But when you do, you know, you don't go around telling everybody, hey, I'm fasting today, you know, because that's kind of prideful. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. The hypocrites do that. You know, you dress, you put on your makeup, you do what you would normally do and just abstain from, from eating food. And it could only maybe just one meal. You know, you could start with just one meal. But if you do a whole day, it's amazing. And if you do three days, it's really amazing. So just a little encouragement there about fasting. And, and what you do during the fasting is generally like if something important is going on in your life you need to answer, you know, you want to fast and pray about that and the Lord will give you an answer. He'll give you peace about it, whether you should move forward or not move forward. And if he, he doesn't speak to you, if you don't feel like he's speaking to you, I always take that as wait. You know, just wait. It's not time yet. Remember, everything has to be God's timing. I'm actually right now praying for something and searching the scriptures looking for an answer, and I, I haven't gotten an answer from him yet. So I'm just waiting. You know, I'm just waiting. It's got to be God's timing. I'm not stop, I haven't stopped searching, I'm, but I'm waiting and not moving forward. So we see how courageous Esther is when she goes before the king in chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes 
and stood in the inner court in the king's palace across from the king's house. While the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house, so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was on, in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. So she was spared because this was God's timing. God had sent her. God's never going to send you into a situation that's dangerous, into a situation where you could have harm. He won't do that. That's not our God. He doesn't do that. He loves you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to talk to him about what, whatever's going on in your life. Does he know? Of course. But he wants you to talk to him because you've got to build that relationship. That's part of the fasting. It's building your relationship with him. So Esther found favor with the king, and the king granted her petition, of course, within reason. You know. But uh, anyway, he granted her petition. So next we see Esther responds to... Now, the bad guy by now you should know is Haman, right? He's the bad guy in the story. So she's not only wise and beautiful, but she's very, very organized. So the king says, well, Esther, what is your petition? What is it you want? She said, well, let me prepare a banquet for you and Haman, and uh, you know, I'll tell you my request. So she does that, and, and Haman is like, whoo, he's bragging to his, his wife and his friends like, hey, I'm having dinner with the queen and the king. And then she, she doesn't tell the king what she wants. She says, I want one more banquet. And he's going, and now I'm invited to a second banquet. So he is flying high. He thinks he's really, you know, up on the, uh, the top level there with the king. So um, <laughs> it cracks me up that how, how God does things. You know? So in, somewhere in between the first and second banquet, uh, God intervenes again on behalf of Mordecai. In chapter 6, the king, uh, for some reason, woke up in the middle of the night and decided to read the Chronicles of the Kingdom. How amazing was that? Another God thing, right? And he discovers it was Mordecai that told him uh, you know, about, the, about the two guys that were going to uh, try to take his life. And he went, wow, he didn't even get any recognition for that. So when Haman comes in, because remember, Haman was second in command to the king. He come, next morning he comes in, and the king says to him, say, Haman, um, what should be given to a man that the king desires to honor? Well, you know, he's thinking about himself, right? Oh, well, the king wants to honor me. Oh, boy, this, this is great, you know. And he goes, well, huh, king, this is what I suggest. Clothe him with a royal robe one which the king has worn, and give him a horse, well, one that the king has ridden, and put a royal crest, uh, crest on his head, and let the king's most noble princes array him in honor of the king, and have this elaborate parade through the city, proclaiming that this is who the king honors. He's going, ooh, this is going to be great. Oh, man, they're going to love me for this. So the king goes, oh, that's a, that's a great suggestion, Haman. And this is what he tells him in chapter 6, verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Can you imagine what his face looked like? He probably passed out, you know? It's like his face went, went pale. 
because he thought he was talking about him. And it turns out it, he was talking about Mordecai, the guy that he hated so much and wanted to get rid of. So at the second banquet, Esther tells the king what's really going on. In Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, it says, So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, and on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me at my petition and my people at my request. So she's, you see the humility here, how she talks to the king? Well, king, if it pleases you, and if I find favor with you, which she did, you know, would you save my life and my people's life? He doesn't know yet she's Jewish, what she's talking about. So it did please the king, and this is where Esther continues to plead her case. In chapter 7, verses uh, four through seven, she says, for we have, we, her people have, we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Can you imagine this poor guy thinking he was so great, and now he's been caught in the lie? Another God thing, right? Only God could do that. So the king revokes the letters that Haman had put out to annihilate the Jews, and he says to Esther and Mordecai, come up with a decree. You write it, put it in my name, do as you please. So the, all the Jews were saved because of Esther's courageous entrance in to see the king. Isn't that an amazing thing? She saved that whole, all the Jews in, in that area. I don't know how big that area is, but it was a pretty big kingdom, so a lot of Jews. And um, he, then he raises Mordecai up to be second in command to the king. And here's, I know I shouldn't be happy about this part, but the gallow that Haman built for Mordecai, guess what? He got hanged on it, you know? He got hanged on Mordecai's gallow. I, that's bad, and I should be so happy about that. But he was not a nice man, you know? He was mean. He was trying to kill the people. And as Connie would say, he got his comeuppance, right? He definitely did. <laughs> so on the day that the Jews succeeded um, in destroying their enemies, because now they went out and they destroyed all the people that were trying to destroy them, they made it a feast uh, every year. It's called the Feast of Purim. And it became an annual holiday that they celebrate the deliverance of the Jews. And it occurs every month in the month of Adar, which in our calendar is probably March. And this is what they do. They dress up in costumes. They read the scroll of Esther, so the whole book of Esther. And every time Haman's name is mentioned, they use those noisemakers to make it loud noise. <laughs> every time his name is mentioned during the reading of, of Esther, I thought, how cool is that? And they give gifts to the poor. So what did we learn about Esther? What did we learn that we can apply to our lives? We learned she was very wise, right? She was very obedient. She did what Mordecai told her to do, even though she could have lost her life. She understood the power of fasting and prayer. 
She was courageous. She was lovely and very beautiful. She exposed evil. She was very organized. I, I thought, how amazing, because you realize she was an orphan, okay? So this orphan organizes these banquets. How amazing is that? How did she know how to do that? I just think that God was with her the whole time. So because of her obedience uh, to Mordecai, and she went before the king, um, she saved the, the, the whole Jewish nation there and instituted a holiday. So those are the things that are named after her. So my question to you is, do you believe that God is working in your life even though you may not think he is? You know, maybe you don't realize he is. And have you ever been called for such a time as this? And if you are called for such a time as this, how, how would you respond? Would you be as courageous as Esther? You see, we learn so much from her. You know, this is something obviously, anything of any major importance, you pray. And if you feel up to it and you feel you can do it, fasting right along with it. Pray and fast, and you'll get the answers. And you know, God, he wants the best for us. He, like I said, he's not going to send you someplace where you're going to be in danger or or. Uh, get harmed in any way, and I, I can't leave without, of course, giving you the famous scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. See, not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. So then, how do we know that God is urging us? How do we know that's God? You know, somehow you go, well, is that the enemy or is, or is that God? How do, how do we know? How do we figure that out? I've got four steps that I hope will help you with this. Number one, the first thing we need to do is seek God through prayer. You know, and prayer isn't just about asking God for something. It's, it's asking about how, how he wants you to live your life. It's listening. It's not talking so much. Sometimes I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've, I've talked too much. I'm just going to be silent because I want to hear your voice. So uh, it's a relationship. You're building a relationship with God. And it's, it's just a wonderful fellowship time with him. Number two, search the scriptures. Just like I said I'm doing. Searching the scriptures for an answer. Because the more you study the Bible, the more you're going to know God's will for yourself. Because he will speak to you. He'll speak to you from his word. And the more you do that, the more you're going to want to do it because it just draws you in to the Lord. The third thing is listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's that still small voice that says, girl, don't go there. Don't, don't do that. Don't say that. That's the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you need to listen. You need to listen because it's a, it's a still small voice but it's, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you because Jesus said, remember, he was going to teach us all things, the Holy Spirit, and he was going to lead us and guide us. So we need to listen to him and listen because he knows, he, he knows what he's doing more than we know what we're doing. So you're going to pray uh, and listen to what the Holy Spirit says. And, um, you know, sometimes we have to ask God, is this just my feelings or my emotions that I'm thinking this or is it you? And if you do these steps I'm talking about, you'll find out they're speaking to the Lord and searching the scripture. You'll know his voice. You'll know when it's him. So allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and to lead you. Number four, you want to look for confirmation. I always, when I have a big thing that I'm praying about now, 
uh, I want to get a confirmation from another person, a godly woman that I know. Uh, you know, I want to talk to her about my situation and say, will you pray for me? Because I want to know God's will in this situation. And I think that's important. And, and not that you have to just tell them everything, but you can just ask them to pray for a certain thing. You don't have to give them all the details and everything. So you want to pick somebody that's wise, someone that's a godly person that, uh, you know, you know for sure will pray for you. Because sometimes, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I'll pray about that. And I found if I, I say, okay, I'll pray about that, I need to pray about it right away because otherwise I'll forget. So I just pray about it right away. So you all never want to stop asking God uh, for his will in your life. Um, and then the confirmations obviously should never take the place of talking to God directly. You always want to get your answers from him. But it's good to have people pray for you, you know. It helps you find an, an, an answer to things. So we may not always be exactly right, but we can trust God to do the right thing for us. And just applying these steps will, will just help you find the answers. And even if you're not searching for something you know, that's happening in your life that's important. Daily, you should be searching the scriptures and asking God, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is your will for me? Because listen, we are all ministers of the gospel, aren't we? And, and you don't have to be a Bible scholar to talk to someone, right? Now, timing is important. Uh, you want to make sure that it's in God's timing, and he'll let you know. He'll, he'll put that urge inside of you that just, it won't go away. You know, until you do what, he, what he's asked you to do. So it's good to seek him daily and, like I said, perhaps maybe fast and pray about the situation. So Esther, do you just love her? Is she the most beautiful woman ever? Like I said, inside and out. And I so want to be like an Esther. I want to have that that kindness. I, when people see me, they know I'm kind. When people see you, they know that you're kind, that you're gracious, that you love the Lord. And the things that you're going to tell them are things to help them, godly things, not things of the world, godly things. And I know it's hard not to talk about what's going on in our world right now. It's very difficult. And sometimes that can, that can kind of discourage us. So whenever you leave a conversation, you want to leave with an encouragement of some type. You know, you want to build them up somehow. So, and all you have to do that my friend did for me this morning, she just laid her hand on me and prayed for me just a couple of seconds. That's all it took, you know, and all the things we've been talking about just went away and I just felt the, the peace of the Lord come upon me. So that's what I'm talking about. Is it good? It's good. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you, Lord, for the book of Esther and this beautiful woman and how she found favor with so many people, Lord. And we want to be like that. We want to find favor with people, not to boast about, but just to do your will and to do what you've called us to do. So, Father, would you help us to do that? Teach us, Lord. Show us what we should be doing and make us quick to listen and slow to speak. Let us listen to that still small voice, Lord, and let us hear the voice of God leading and guiding us, especially in these last days. Lord, we need to be equipped. We need to be ready to give an answer to whoever may ask. We need to be women that, are, that show the love of God and that we walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Would you help us to do that, Father? We appreciate it, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.